Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast interview. Of course, one of the legendary bands of progressive rock are Gentle Giant. They have a brand new box set coming out called Unburied Treasure. comes out December 6th. So I'm very pleased to welcome one of the founding members and lead vocalist for the band, Mr. Derek Shulman. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Nice to meet you. Uh, you too. Can you hear me okay? I hear you great. Yeah, me too. This is uh, the wonders of modern science. It's a real honor to speak with you on two fronts. Uh, obviously, your work with General Giant and, and all that comes with that, um, and the influence you've brought to all the bands that are out today doing this amazing music. And uh, and also, I'm really interested in your work with, with label stuff, so I'd like to ask you a couple of things about that as well. Um, Uh-oh, I'm in, tr- I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I love that stuff. My goal... Oh, you know, trying to get up into the record business my whole life was really to get into the label side. You know, that's what I always thought was fascinating. And, uh, you know, sometimes be careful what you wish for, right? Um, well, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> that, and I'll say that categorically. <laughs> that's right. So, well, I want to start off first with, uh, you know, the big box set that you, that you have coming out, the Gentle Giant box set, Unburied Treasure, uh, December 6th. I mean, this is a massive mammoth thing you guys have put together. It's almost like a CD collection, not not a box set. Uh, you know, it's got 30 discs, uh, live outtake albums, uh, uh, Blu-ray, books, posters, promotional things. I mean, talk about it. I know you had a, a, a big hand in helping put this together. So tell me about the box set. Well, actually, effectively, uh, it was more... Um, Ian Crockett at, at Snapper's uh, idea uh, about three or four years ago. Um, we helped, but uh, honestly, um, it was more of their uh, expectation that that people out there would enjoy hearing uh, not just the albums which I've heard, you know, probably 250 times uh, in in various forms, but also uh, to know a little bit more about the band. You know, band uh, Bayern's live performances, as well as this history, especially people who were who were not either old like me or dead, you know, like other <laughs> other people. But so I think it was more um, uh, of a labor of love uh, on the uh, the people who put it together. But certainly, we were helpful in in trying to find uh, different pieces of memorabilia um, and and, um, and and things that were stuck in closets. That um, were the uh, you know the remains of what was, uh, and when when we packed when we said good, goodbye to performing in 1980, I think Gary Green was more of the uh, memorabilia person in the band than anyone. He had a, a ton of stuff that he kept, and I think he was um, more of the, uh, the go-to person for especially the sort of bits and pieces, bits and bobs that are in there. And again, I'm I'm not even sure what's in there myself. I do know that. I do know there are a lot of live performances and books and 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 uh, and, and memorabilia pieces that are quite interesting, from what I hear. So the, these kind of reissues and uh, you know different remixes and things get put out over over different years, different you know forms and re-releases and all that kind of stuff. At what point do you you know look at that and sign off on something or or say no we're not doing this one or do you have control over what comes out these days oh yeah i mean thankfully you know the band i was able no we were able but i was able and probably more so to uh, secure for the most part the catalog which belongs for the most part to the band um and that's something i you know having 
been on the other side of the uh, uh, on the dark side of the business, if you like. I was a, mm. the, the Darth Vader of the band. Um, understood that hey, we could get these these uh, masters back because they belong to the band. So we were able to um, have the band uh, own the uh, licenses to for the most part not everything but certainly most of it yeah that's so great. uh which so we have control and and, and we want make, make sure that it's not cheesy or or, or overdone or or it, look, it looks like it's a money grab because a money grab because it's not it's something that um if it if it's something which is worthwhile and and um and it and it and it and it's important for the people who want to see what Gentle Giant was about, it's got to be something which is, um, it's got to be something which is um, good looking, good sounding and, and, and value for money and, and, and something which is authentic, which is important to the band. Yeah. How much of what is in the box set was, was out there in some form or not, or is it, or is a lot of it or, or even all, all of it uh, unseen? No, some the, the, obviously the albums themselves uh, were have been out there, of course, except for actually except for the first album, which uh, which was remixed completely by Stephen Wilson, and that wasn't uh, that hasn't been heard. Um, obviously, the albums have been heard. Yeah, There's I mean, some, the, the, uh, like the live the live stuff, you know, the live stuff. It, no, not 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 uh, officially by the band, but certainly there's uh, tons of you know, people who, who are trading tapes or whatever who right. were you know you know pirated bootlegs or whatever but a lot of the stuff that is in the uh collection were tapes basically that were handed to us from shows or or, or radio shows or tv shows that just were in closets somewhere and therefore um when we were asked whether we wanted this to happen we fished them out and gave them to you know the, the people that over at snapper and, and made sure they sounded good and they were they were mastered properly, and and hopefully they sounded interesting for the people who would hear them. And they, they, again, the live performances were very very different to the to the recorded music that was heard on on albums, of course. So I wasn't familiar with the band when you guys were around. Uh, I was really young at that point, but um, you know, so much, much 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 later on, uh, you know, when I was discovering. Bands like Dream Theater and uh, and Spock's Beard and and a lot of this music, and it, to me it sounded new. And then I would always hear, yeah, but this is this is General Giant. They're just doing stuff General Giant used to do. And then it, you know force you to go back. How often do you hear that that you guys were such a big influence on all the music that that came after? Interesting. To, you, you mentioned Dream Theater because I signed Dream Theater. As you yeah, correct. Know. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a little sidebar. Yeah. Um, a lot, and, and it's surprising. Um, we, we, we had never thought ourselves as pioneers or, or someone who, a, a band that would be influential. We were just a band of, of musicians that wanted to be you know, good musicians for ourselves first, and then hopefully take it on stage, and, and if people liked it, they'll pay money, and if they paid money, we were able to pay the bill. It was that simple. So the fact that we were um, influences were, was never a thought process when we, when we were in the band. That was completely off the map. It was just basically us as a group doing what we wanted to do, uh, albeit sometimes less uh, less um, 
commercial than say other bands but certainly something which i guess stood the test of time because people still it seems people want to hear the music that we put that put out back in the day which is you know somewhat yeah. gratifying actually to a certain degree no it's amazing considering i mean it's been a long time since 1980 since you guys played and and people are still interested and rabid for it and um i think the respect for the music has even grown over you know over the last 10 to 15 years even if it's not if that's possible um yeah you're right yeah you know you guys were, were in the era of of all the great other prog bands like genesis and yes and king crimson and all that um you know was there sort of a healthy competition between the bands back then or were you guys friends or were you checking out to see what they did and try to see if you could top it that kind of thing actually no not at all actually we were very much um uh you know rallying cries for each other um you know in 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 the mid to late 60s when when i started would be actually all these bands that you mentioned uh well not you know uh certainly the genesis and and, uh and yes etc and crimson we all started in the same in the same period yeah. Whether it was a pop band, you know, League of Gentlemen were Crimson, you know, Yes were uh, other, you know, they, we all had different names. So we were friends, and we were kind of like um, we were in different bands, and and I was in, a, you know, a band called myself and my brother Simon Dupree and Big Sound. Right. So we were we were um, uh, friends, and 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 when when all these groups changed the music and, and decided to do something a little more adventurous, we were we were uh, supportive of each other and. So the fact is, was that there was there was nothing. No one called us progressive band. I mean, it wasn't such a title in those right. days. It was just a band doing what you did. And the fact that it was a little different to three chords and a vocal line was what it was. It was a very British thing. Um, and um, thankfully, we were able to make a living. But there was certainly no uh, um, uh, any kind of like um, you know competitiveness. As it yeah. were, uh, it was more of a of a sort of uh, a, a supportive rallying cry for all the bands that came through during that period. You know, was, but we were lucky. We were lucky actually that we were. Um, for, I mean, we, we befriended more, probably most importantly, uh, good friends of ours in Tull, Jethro Tull, who became you know um, bigger than we were uh, at a certain point because they had a hit single living in the past in I think sixty nine seventy. Um, and um, they invited us to tour with them in 19, late 1971, 72, Europe and, and North America. And from that uh, friendship and our, our ability to play in front of uh, Tull, we garnered our own steam, as it were, in, in a lot of territories. So it's a lot, it's a lot of stories. Yeah, I mean, I'm always amazed when I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of new music, and I think there's a lot of great bands that, that come out these days. And then you'll go back and you listen to stuff from that era, whether it's, you know, yourselves or, you know, Genesis or Yes, and you just, it, it, it's amazing the creativity and just the risk-taking that was going on back then. You know, I was listening to Power and the Glory, and it's just like, who who was come up, coming up with this kind of stuff? In fact, that it's just so amazing, and it's stuff that just had no boundaries with what you were able to do. It must have been just a, such a free time to write. It, it was, and, and we were lucky actually in that respect because um, you know there was there were no the, the the record business as it was back in those days uh, was still a kind of a semi naive business, you know, and it was about music, 
which is which is a uh, uh, and it, it was about music and musicians and and you know in, certainly in in the mid to late sixties and the early seventies um you know it changed obviously in the eighties and nineties and it became fragmented and 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 big corporations came in and said wow there's a big there's a big uh, um uh, business here that we can make a lot of money from which I became part of in certain respects although I kept my some parts of my integrity I hope <laughs> uh but um you know back in those days it was really us doing what we wanted to do and hopefully we were able to you know garner a little following and they would pay money five shillings and you know in, in England and and we get 50 pounds and we were able to spread it around the band and and pay for food and rent so really that was a working musician's uh situation we were very lucky I was very lucky and the groups was that ilk were very lucky in that during that period because it was a, a naive period and and in that respect I think authenticity was was uh our keystone and I think for the most part most of the bands were and yeah. you know how they evolved into something else is a different story but I think for the most part that was the keystone for a lot of these bands what do you miss the most from being in the band is it the the playing live or is it the creativity and, and recording in the studio well honestly i don't really miss too much <laughs> uh, uh, no because it was it, because i you know we 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 said on, in 1980 after the North America tour that's it you know there has to be chapters in your life and and you, and you could be creative in different fashions however you do you know however you work um, but missing uh, yeah there's there's some t- there it, it, it amazes me when I look back and there's a lot of YouTube videos and, and a lot of uh, um, audio or you'll hear the audio uh, um, files on on the box set that I listened to, and I thought, well, you know, even though we didn't quite know that it would be around 40 years later, um, it was quite good. You know, it was we we worked. I mean, we worked very hard at our craft and our I'll I'll do it in quotes art um, mm-hmm. because um, we were we loved doing it. That was something we loved to do as a passion. It was it was it was authentic, yeah. um, and uh, I, I miss that to a certain degree. Um, but as far as going on stage and 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 recording, um, I, I, I've been on the other side of the fence, you know, since 1982, uh, and uh, it's a lot harder these days for um, groups to have what we were lucky to have in in those days: a naivety, the ability to be a musician true to yourself, and have some kind of success. Yeah. Yeah, it's a challenging time. It's a, uh, it's a challenging time, and I feel bad for musicians who are not able to have the luck and the time of the period of time we, we when we started breaking through that they have, or they don't have, should I say. Yeah. I mean, is it... Uh, well, I, before, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the record label side. Um, you know, what, first of all, prompted you when you were done with the band to then enter that arena? Well, a couple of things. Number one, uh, how do I make a living? Right, uh, right. <laughs> you know, I had a family, and and, uh, um, and number two um, was that uh, certainly in the last part of the uh, the band's last three or four years, uh, maybe a little longer, myself and my brother Ray kind of took hold of the the direction and management of the band, um, 
you know, in retrospect, you know, it's hard. I'll, I'll say this. It was a little, uh, probably a mistake. I, I don't regret anything, but it was, it's a mistake to try to be, to look objectively at what you're doing, uh, and be subjective at the same time. And at the same time to put that objectivity aside and also use the creativity and put the business part aside. So you're kind of right. caught in the middle. Yeah. So you're caught in the middle and maybe in that respect, it was, it was a little harder to ascertain or keep, keep your, uh, creative head completely creative. However, um, having been involved in the business side, if you like in management and, or, you know, looking at how things work, I guess I was able to learn a little more about what it was that, that made one album bigger than the other. And when I joined Polygram in 19, late 80s, you're at 81, um, I will say that I was not shocked, but surprised and disappointed to a certain degree that the music business wasn't the music business. It was the business of music. And because a lot of people had their own fiefdoms and they were, you know, and it, 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 in some respects, not all, but certainly some of the people I used to work with and work in this business were more in it for the perks and the, and the lifestyle rather than the music. So yeah. I tried as much as I could to help the musicians see that side of the, 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 the coin in my world, uh, having done what I did over the 15 or whatever years I, I was a musician and, and, and a working musician. Yeah. Um, I've read, I was looking at some of the lists of bands that you signed and I see, you know, Bon Jovi was in there. Was Def Leppard was, were they one of them as well? I mean, were those two of no, maybe the, no, Def Leppard was, uh, was came over from England, uh, Cinderella, dream, you know, Pantera, uh, Nickelback slip, not, there's a lot of things that, that were signed, I signed. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I guess I was able to parlay my creativity into, into, um, hopefully, seeing a band this it's a kind of bizarre um dichotomy in certain respects because gentle giant were never commercially successful i mean we had well i say this uh without not having the knowledge that it would still be around and, and even more popular today than it probably was back in the day right but i learned learned that what what i, I guess i learned how to um what the what the to nurture the musicians to to see what they were looking for and to try and help them um, reach their goals, um, having been through you know, what I've done on stage and recording and, and writing, etc. So there was never a musician that said, "Well, you don't you don't know what it's like to be in a bus or 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 on stage or, right. or you don't know yeah. what it's like to write because I do. <laughs> I've you know, right. slept on the floor, you know." So. In that respect, I was able to, you know, help them understand what it was like, and, and hopefully, see their dreams fulfilled, uh, you know, in, in the background. So, of course, in, in Prague today, one of the biggest bands we cover and and is Dream Theater, of course, and uh, still around today, thriving, doing very well. You know, talk about a little bit about you know discovering them or or the process of signing them. If there's a you know, an interesting story maybe people don't know? Well, yeah, there, there is actually, because uh, I was I was president and chairman of ATCO Records at that time. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, Dream Theater had already had two albums out on MCA, I believe, or, or 
mechanic, from what I understand. Yeah. And they were dropped or something, uh, and they weren't selling anything. And um, I'd heard, you know, somebody, I can't remember who it was, sent me a demo of a four-track instrumental, um, a tape of instrumental music from Dream Theater. And I loved it. I thought, this is, this is something which is, I haven't heard too much of this during, you know, having, you know, uh, having had other successes, if you like. And I loved it. And I said, boy, this is something I could, uh, you know, I, if they could get a great singer um, and, and enjoy you know, what they did. It was Mike Portnoy's uh, um, band at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, so I signed the band based on the four-track demo of an instrumental uh, um, tape. They found their singer. And uh, when I heard them put the vocals on top of the music and do a few more songs, I signed them to a, a recording deal. And they, they recorded with uh, uh, David Prater, Images right. and Words. And um, there, which I thought was a spectacular album, actually. Um, and we heard the song Pull Me Under, which is about eight or nine minutes long. Right. And I got Prater to, uh, to, de- you know, to cut it down to a, something like a four minute piece with, with the choruses come, you know, at some point and we were able to get it on the radio and then dream theater was, I guess, reborn. And, and the fact is that Mike and, and the band were also workaholics. They loved to play. They loved to work. They loved to write, which is the same thing as gentle giant did. We were, we were very, we were, we were workaholics too. And they worked their asses off to get to where they wanted to go, both recording and playing and writing and and thankfully those four track you know instrumental demos became images and words and out of that became you know pull me under and we were off to the races and with their with their career back in 1980 no 92 correct that's exactly right yep i know that because i'll tell you that album was the life changer for me I mean, you influenced me even doing this website. <laughs> and doing okay. these, I mean, images and words for me at 18 years old was, uh, it blew my mind. It changed everything musically. It was like for me and, and friends around me, it was the, it was our, it was our Bible, that album for a uh, long time. Was, you know, and I, I was proud to at least, you know, I, I had, you know, some, the, the way I kind of, work if you like in in the this side of the business was you know I, sometimes i knew something was going to be a, a big hit i mean i you know i i just instinctively knew and it's something i guess i have in my gut which you know but i wanted to parlay you know okay so i have something which i know is going to be a big hit whether it's i'm thinking out loud here um during that period uh at acdc which i brought back from the dead but i wanted to nurture something that i thought should be heard and should be seen and and do as much as i could to help make them at least give them a shot to see the light of day and that was what i did with dream theater um so that's you know that in that respect i was happy that it it worked was there a band that uh you know you thought this is absolutely a home run this is going to be the biggest thing it's amazing we've got to sign this and put it out and then it just nothing just didn't happen. How I, I bet that probably happened a few times, but it was there one that you recall that just like you don't understand why it didn't become a success. There's two or three, but yeah, but one in particular actually that that's that really um, 
still grips my my stomach and and, say, and says to me, boy, that could have, should have, and would have, and, and I don't know why, was a band called the Dan Reed Network when I was at Polygram. I remember them, yeah. Uh, and they're still going. And Dan's back in, in Dan's back on the road, and he's he's out there with uh, Jeff Beck. Dan, I mean, what I wanted to do with that band because they had multicultural. They were they were a rock band, but they they dragged in uh, funk and R and B and all sorts of different kind of elements into this world. Where and I, and I, having had success with, as you said, Bon Jovi and Cinderella and, and Man Without Hats and Tears to Fears, etc. You know, I I, I, I I instinctively knew that this could be gigantic, and I tried and tried, but it just could not catch on. It caught on a lot more in Europe than it did here, but the radio just didn't seem to. And the radio was a big uh, marketing tool then, you know, yeah. back then. And the fact that it was funk and it was rock and it was this, it didn't. It was like a square peg in a round hole. I didn't give a shit whether it was a square <laughs> peg in a round hole. You know, I just this it is fucking great, and I loved it, and everyone else should. Because it should, yeah. it it was that good, and that, I do I do feel yeah that was one where I just knew that it should have been and could have been, but it just didn't, and yeah. it still gets to me today. And Dan is still a great friend, and and he's still making great music. So yeah, there, yeah. There, sometimes there you just do, it just doesn't happen. Sometimes it's a, yeah, a weird thing. Yeah. What uh you know last last question here for you um uh you know today's climate I mean trying to make it in the record business and streaming and all that. What, what's your take on it? I mean, if you were, you know, you saw a band and they're, they, they, they want to try and make it. Do you tell them just don't, don't even bother? Or is there a, or is there a way to approach this that you think is, is, is something that works? What's your take on the current state of, of things? Boy, um, as I said to you earlier, I felt I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. Uh, and the bands of our ilk are very lucky that we came through, in a period of naivete, without computers, without internet, without uh, any any resources that any anything that you would want, other than being able to play and rehearse and play and rehearse and get your fan base and ultimately sell a single, sell another single, and then sell an album. In today's world, I mean, you have you know you have analytics which give you you know the the best sounding music that, with the auto tunes and 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 this that, and the other. Um, it's so much harder uh, today than it was even 20, 30 years ago. Um, but the, but, the, but the, the biggest issue is if you really want to do this, if you if you are if you really want to be big, or no, not big, sorry, if you want to make your name in this business, uh, don't follow, don't, yeah. don't use a computer, don't use, just be authentic, be yourself. Yep. It would be who you are, and if you're great, and you, and if you really are great, then you'll find your way. Because if you're not great, it's not not just good. You can't be just good. You can't be just very good. You have to be great to make it. And you know, yes, you can make you can, you can make. I'll put in in parentheses, it's great on the computer, but you have to be great and, and authentic to make it all the way through to the top in this day and age. It's a lot harder to see that through. Because there's all these other things that are um, that are viewed as great, but they're really not. Because it's all about you know visuals and and, and clickbaits and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you are authentic, you'll make it. But it's a lot harder. But just the bottom line is, if you really are determined, then work at your art, get your fan base, 
and work and play and play and work and play. And that way you'll ultimately do it. But it's yeah. a lot harder at this age. It is, it is. Well, Derek, this is, a, this is a pleasure, man. I could talk about this kind of stuff for hours with you, but I won't hold you to it. Well. Uh, and, uh, but thank you so much. And I'm uh, just a, a real honor to get to talk to you a little bit. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to Derek for the interview. Don't forget to pick up the new Gentle Giant box set, Unburied Treasure, out on December 6th. We're going to close with a track from Gentle Giant. This is Playing the Game. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theparkreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter and Instagram, or download the podcast on all our podcast networks. Thanks. Thanks.